Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Uh, Bud, got uh, a couple pertinent topics to touch on tonight. Uh, coach is almost con- a coach who has almost uh, completely rounded out his staff. Uh, some listener questions to get to. I think we're going to hold off on a bowl preview specific pod. Probably let you just do that as a standalone product. Uh, I appreciate that. that have, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to <laughs> looking, doing a standalone bowl. <laughs> I'm going to be generous enough to give you the game that I've been uh, less interested in, in in the entirety of my fandom. Uh, I'm just going to let you run, carry that torch alone. So, Tis the season of giving. Uh, good for you, sir. Uh, tis the season of giving, tis the season of uh, cooking and doing all kinds of stuff, and Louisiana hot sauce has been uh, been something I've been actively using uh, throughout. I've cooked one of the more adventurous, or, uh, adventurous items, probably a little, little bit too big uh, for the setting that it was, but uh, Louisiana hot sauce was there with me uh, all along the way, and whether you're putting it on, you know, $2.00 ramen or uh, way too expensive uh, tenderloin Uh, love the product love that we're able to pair with them and want to as always thank them at the top of the podcast here absolutely man i made a uh, made a brisket for uh, for christmas and uh, after last year's brisket my mother-in-law bought a smaller turkey because she thought that uh, maybe i was right that um, if turkey was that good it'd be something we would actually eat all year round so uh, yeah, it was it was great, and uh, used some Louisiana hot sauce in the collard. So, let's go ahead and talk uh, tonight. We have well, first let's just kind of go over who got hired since the last time uh, we, we did a podcast. That's that's probably relevant to go over. Yeah, we've got uh, we've got guys that have been <clears throat> officially added to staff, and then some guys where there's uh, you know waiting on official official, but uh, some other names that we could talk about with confidence. Uh, Chris Marv is the first person that has been an, an official add-on to the staff. Marv, uh, hell of a player in his own right uh, during his time at Vanderbilt, but a young coach, uh, brings a lot of energy uh, to the staff. Uh, I think there's legit reason to be excited if you're a Florida State fan uh, as far as he's what able to do. Or, and a uh, guy that you, you took away from uh, who was currently on Mississippi State staff. Man, I, I got to tell you now. I feel uh, I feel like my, my coaching career is just slipping away from me. Florida State has now hired a coach younger than me. Right? Uh, yeah, Chris, that's thirty-one years old. Just <laughs> swallowed a little bit when I saw that myself. Uh, but a pretty experienced thirty-one, right? Got guy who's who's coached now in the SEC for multiple years. Um, has ties to Memphis, which is what, how I think Mike Norvell uh, is aware of him. I, as far as I know, they've not actually coached together. Just comparing their timelines but uh norvell recruits the state of mississippi heavily or at least did so when he was at memphis so it would make a little bit of sense that they would have crossed some paths as well as him coming up there to recruit the city of memphis for uh for mississippi state dude who was the uh, like you said i think the leading tackler at vanderbilt for uh, for four years and a guy with with a lot of juice and is seen as a a real up-and-comer in in the coaching industry it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up being one of your better recruiters on this staff and uh, and, and somebody who the, the fan base ends up having a whole lot of faith in. So I think that's, that's a pretty inspiring hire. Um, and I think it was, you know, quite honestly, um, probably his, his top choice there for the job. Um, so he'll be coaching linebackers, which is interesting because it makes me wonder what, uh, what position Coach Fuller, uh, defensive coordinator Adam Fuller, is, is going to handle. Uh, because he was coaching uh, linebackers at his last last couple stops, but my guess here is that the opportunity to have uh, to have Coach Marv on staff was probably too great to pass up uh, once he said yes. So, guys, I, I, I got to tell you, I think that's a that's a hire that's going to make people uh, probably pretty happy. I, I would think that your uh, your coaching at, at that linebacker position is probably going to be upgraded uh, from from where it was before. Yeah, a, a guy like you said, uh, somebody that you can see the fan base uh, really falling in love with. Guy that uh, will do real well as far as like the the off season optimism and somehow or sometimes how this fan base and all fan bases kind of 
uh, fallen in and out of uh, of love and have real popular people on staff. I predict that Marv becomes one of the more uh, kind of, uh, you know, just a favorite, a favorite add-on on the staff, a guy with a really bright future and somebody that uh, will be fun to watch what he does in his time in Tallahassee. Uh, coming back to an, another name that was recently added, uh, John uh, P- Papuchis? Is that how you're going to pronounce that? A, a guy who's I, been I in the game Papuchis, for a long time. But I'm not sure. Yeah. I've never actually met the guy. Yeah. A uh, guy widely, uh, widely respected as a, both a, a really good recruiter and on-the-field coach. Uh, worked, uh, was it most recently at UNC? I know he was there for two to three years. Uh, uh, no, they, most recently at Maryland. That's and, right. And then he was, yeah, at, he was at UNC. Uh, then he went to Maryland. UNC. Uh, he coached at Nebraska previously. Uh, looks as though he's going to be your option when it comes to defensive ends. Uh, both, I, I like that for a lot of reasons. Uh, but he'll also be a, a special teams guy, which is a a good thing in and of itself. In the fact that you're not uh, you're not just wasting, at least in my opinion, you wouldn't just be wasting a coach on a on a unit. You're able to add somebody who's able to coach a unit, and you're also, in my opinion able to make an existing coach a lot better by able you know by allowing him to kind of focus on on that which is his wheelhouse and uh, by that I mean Odell and defensive tackles yeah I, I really agree with you there on on all points um I you know they, they had talked about bringing in a different special teams coach and my thought was I I don't know man like does this team when I think team that is probably going to be in a fight to make a bowl game, and I'm not going to say they're not going to make a bowl game or something like that, but I, I think they're going to be fighting to make a bowl game this year. Um, I mean, depending on what else happens with the roster and if certain things happen, maybe they, they have a better shot than if certain things don't happen, like transfers. Uh, but I got to thinking, like, is that what this team really needs? Is a guy who's really his sole focus is on special teams? And, and I kept thinking, no. It really doesn't, right? Like, th- this defensive end position needs some help. And they really need some really good recruiters on this staff to go out there and sell, sell, sell. Because you're certainly not going to be selling on-field product, right? In terms of recent years, probably like the last four years are not really something you can sell, especially not like the last three. Uh, and you're not going to sell um, – you're not really going to sell on-field product this year or probably in in the 2021 season either, most likely, so you're going to have to sell. You really have guys who, who can sell and sell a vision and sell hope and sell playing time. And you need you need good recruiters for that. You need dynamic recruiters for that. Um, Papuchas actually has a pretty good reputation as a recruiter. I know he was involved with, with Indomitian Sioux uh, as well when he was at Nebraska. I, I think he'll do a pretty good job for you on the recruiting trail. And, and so that's two guys on the defensive side of the ball who uh, I believe are going to be Strong recruiters for you. It's great that Coach Norvell likes special teams. I like special teams. That's that's awesome. Good special teams are are always good. Um, but like, I, I got to tell you, I would have been kind of disappointed if they had brought in somebody whose only job was to do special teams and who was just you know maybe not a dynamic recruiter because to me that would not have been the highest use of, of that roster spot. So um, yeah. I, I like this, and I also like Odell not coaching the entire defensive line. That doesn't mean I think Odell's a bad coach. I think he's a good coach. But uh, I don't think that you want him coaching defensive ends and defensive tackles if you're going to be running a 4-3 scheme you know, with, with four down linemen like Florida State's going to be running. So uh, we'll see. Is he an upgrade in terms of coaching over Mark Snyder at, at, with, with defensive ends? I I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not super confident in saying yes, but I'm not – saying that he's a downgrade. I just I don't see a real reason to believe that he's a major upgrade or, or downgrade. Uh, I do think he'll do a good job recruiting for you. I think that's one of the primary reasons why you got why you went out and got Peaches. Odell Haggins. Uh, Odell Hagen, excuse me, as I said two weeks ago. Uh, you let him you let him recruit Polk County and you let him coach defensive tackles. And uh, when you do those two things uh, you normally get the best out of out of Odell. So, uh, third name we have to mention is Chris Thompson, somebody that we've talked about numerous times on the podcast. Uh, most recently at TCU, uh, had a career overlap with Norvell at uh, Arizona State and Central Arkansas. Uh, I'll be interested in your opinion, Bud, and in, in mine. This looks like a guy who may come in and be a, a tackles and tight ends uh, focus. But uh, where, in your opinion, do you see him uh, fitting into Norvell's staff? Yeah, uh, so right now he's quote-unquote uh, offensive assistant slash deputy head coach, which basically means, l- let me decode this for you, right? All right. Uh, 
Um, Deputy head coach means we can afford to pay you a little bit more because we're a state school, and if we put these weird titles on things, it allows us to to bump your pay. Um, now, this is somebody that Coach Norvell trusts, obviously, because they work together at Arizona State and also Central Arkansas. The guy does have a decent number of players in the NFL on the offensive line position, but he's also coached other positions before, like uh, tight ends and, and I believe also running backs. Um yeah, it wouldn't surprise me to see him be a tight end slash maybe tackles coach or tight ends slash second offensive line coach. I, I do anticipate they're going to bring in um, Alex Atkins of Charlotte to be their offensive line coach. They haven't announced that yet, but that was happening. Uh, when was the when was the Charlotte Bowl game? Uh, that was right around the 21st, 22nd, wasn't it? Uh, I remember watching it in the hotel lobby, so it had to be somewhere in that period of time. Yeah, so Florida State has not announced Alex Atkins yet, and we'll, t- we'll talk about him in a second. But uh, I, it wouldn't surprise me to see Thompson work with, with tight ends and tackles. Um, this is a guy who I, I reached out to some TCU people. They they were not real happy about losing him, so that is always encouraging. And uh, that's not to say that other, other schools were happy about losing the coaches Florida State got here. But, again, I think this is another guy who was uh, fairly high on Mike Norvell's list in terms of, of coaches who he wanted. Now, clearly he wasn't the first choice because he wanted Adam Silverfield, who ended up becoming the head coach of Memphis uh, via an internal promotion because he was already the interim coach. But I, I think Coach Thompson is somebody who comes with, with, with high acclaim. Um, people in, in Texas also say he's a good recruiter, so we'll see. I, I've not come across him really on the recruiting trail, uh, but – my guess is that if you're going to be on the staff, most of the guys on the staff, I think, are going to, going to have to be at least decent recruiters. So we'll uh, we'll see how he does there. But I, I know Coach Norvell is, is really happy about this hire. Uh, good hire. Again, somebody we've talked about uh, as far as his past resume. Uh, been a little bit of everywhere as far as different roles on staffs and uh, somebody that uh, – Again, in my opinion, end up working in a, a couple of specific positions that uh, at least one desperately needs uh, individual attention. Uh, another name that we have talked about uh, out here is Carlos Lachlan, uh, Coach Locks, as he is occasionally known. Uh, he is another name that has uh, come from Memphis, and he has been named, what, the uh, Director of High School Relations? Yeah, which is, I think, what we thought he would probably be doing in Tallahassee. So he's going to be their, their director of high school relations here, which is the same job that he had in Memphis. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's basically a liaison position who can help you with some logistical stuff. And uh, it's, it's a position that a lot of schools uh, have adopted in, in recent years. So uh, good to see Florida State filling that, that position and uh, – it, yeah, it also, I know there was some speculation out there, not from us, uh, that uh, that he was going to be a position coach. I never got word of that. I'm not saying that, that it was never considered because, I mean, I can't uh, rule it out, but I don't think that that was, as far as I know, that, that was not being considered. So, uh, And we have a couple names here who we're, we're kind of waiting to see if, if they're going to be joining the staff. Some were uh, more confident in than others, but uh, – like this staff is is very close to being filled out. It's done a really good job. I mean, you gotta. We, we all, I think, need to temper uh, praise and or you, you get real eager to do so in a coaching transition sometimes. Uh, but I think even when you're being as as neutral uh, as possible, you have to note the job that this guy's done to more or less have his his staff filled out by Christmas. And, uh, you know, there is no long lingering issue when it comes to a coordinator or anything else. Uh, he identified who he wanted and more times than not, uh, in my opinion, got got either the number one or, or number two name uh, on his board. So uh, impressive job and impressive thing to watch as this has kind of played itself out. Indeed, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about, about seeing how this continues to develop. We also have Coach David Johnson uh, at, at Tennessee. We'll see if, if he ends up being Florida State's running backs coach. Uh, I My guess is that Tennessee will, will be fighting to keep him. Uh, coach Alex Atkins, who is the offensive line coach slash OC at Charlotte. They had an excellent year. Bad bowl game. Of course, some people uh, who emailed us want to judge him based on a bowl game, which is the least important game of the entire year. Uh, literally all the other 12 games that Charlotte played are, are more important. 
Um, but he, he's considered another uh, another rising star in the business, a guy who I, I think gives you some solid experience, but also is a, is a potential head coach down the line, I believe, and that would be a big-time hire. I spoke to somebody in the Memphis pro- – or not the Memphis program, excuse me, the Charlotte program, and I was like, hey, what do you think? And he's like, uh, man, we really don't want to lose him. <laughs> uh, but I – you know, obviously I get it. And uh, so – there's multiple reports that, he, that he's going to be coming. I think Bruce Feldman at the Athletic uh, may have had that like first, first, uh, but I, I do expect that to still get done. And then uh, with, with TJ Rushing, the uh, who is the defensive backs coach at at Memphis um, currently, a lot of people think he's going to be the defensive backs coach. And we discussed him, I think, three episodes ago. That was that was actually the name that I think Norvell had as his top defensive backs coach option i know a lot of people out there are terrell buckley terrell buckley terrell buckley and he was a great knoll but i gotta tell you guys i haven't had a single person tell me terrell buckley is coming to florida state or that that terrell buckley is a target in fact it's like so silent on that front where names seem to be flowing pretty openly in in like other names that it makes me wonder if some of the people throwing terrell buckley out there aren't engaging in some rather serious fan service right as opposed to, you know, reporting what's actually happening. Or maybe I'll be totally wrong. Maybe those guys' sources are right on Terrell Buckley, and Terrell Buckley is, is likely. But I um, I haven't got anything on Terrell Buckley. And I, I don't – I mean, we haven't talked in the last, like, day, but I don't I don't think you were getting on Buckley either, right? No. <clears throat> I mean, look, uh, I really admire what Buckley did. He went and worked on some crap staffs. Uh, he decided to want to coach – and he did, uh, you know, he went and kind of <laughs> worked uh, worked the equivalency of, of riding around a bunch of horrible buses and playing in minor league ballparks when you're trying to trying to finally make it to the bigs. And a guy who didn't try to shortcut anything despite his uh, collegiate and, and professional record. And if it works out where one day's coaching at Florida State, great. If not, uh, I admire the work ethic of the guy. And, uh, you know, he turned himself into an absolute – a real legitimate coach and a lot of times uh, former players aren't necessarily uh, willing to go through the process that's required to that so uh, I don't think it happens at Florida State either at least not right now uh, but impressed by what T-Buck's done nonetheless and wish him nothing but the best I will note here uh, that um, in order and, and yeah I, I think your point about T-Buck is really good about how he actually did it the right way as opposed to just begging for a job on Twitter you know and not be, being willing to put in the work if you look at uh, at the order of coaches that uh, Chris Rushing, or excuse me, that, that Chris Marv has uh, has followed, uh, Marv's most recent follows in order: Stephen Dix Jr., who's an FSU signee; Adam Fuller, he's the DC; Odell Higgins, he's obviously the D tackles coach; uh, TJ Rushing, huh? Guy who has not been announced yet officially; John Papuchas, guy who has been announced officially; David Johnson, guy who has not been announced officially; Ron Dugans guy who has been announced officially is that uh that, that strike you there that uh like the the, the people he added in were, were not in the order of them being officially announced as in maybe there's some word inside the building that this is likely to happen would seem uh would seem as though his batting average is fairly high and that that would be a, a little bit of a coincidence so interesting uh, interesting set of following the follows there yeah i, I agree there uh, so quickly here before we get to some listener questions, uh, we do have to discuss uh, people who are leaving uh, and people who are staying. Today is what day is today? Thursday, I think. Um, Thursday the twenty sixth. Yeah. Yes. So Stanford Samuel's the third has announced that he will be going uh, pro, and I think he maybe has better pro prospects than some think. I know a lot of people think he'll just be undrafted and won't even make a practice squad. I, I disagree with that. Uh, but did not have a great year by any stretch of the imagination, and somebody who maybe he just wants to uh, maybe wants to just get on with it with his pro career, and has yet another coaching staff he's learning under here uh, in, in in year four. I think that would be what four defensive coordinators or four uh, secondary coaches in some way in in four years. So um, not not somebody who's who's real stable, and and, and not excuse me. 
not 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 somebody who's real stable. A situation that is not real stable there uh, for for SS3, unfortunately for him. Uh, so he'll be going. But uh, we did get uh, Jer- first of all, Jerry's Robinson announced that he plans to come back. I believe I saw. And then there's also the possibility of Corey Durden staying. I think when a lot of people, including myself, believe that he was going to go. Uh, he tweeted some positive things at Coach Norvell publicly. That's not like an official coming back, I don't believe, but it's better than nothing. So there you go. Any uh, any thoughts on those? No, I mean, not really. I, I'll join you that I, if you would have asked me a month ago, would have told you with almost certainty that uh, Durden was gone. Stanford Samuels III, I hope he does well. Just a sad reminder of a lot of wasted talent. Uh, that's gone through the program recently and the um, you know amount of praise that you and I and others and, and legitimate positivity that we had entering the season for the secondary and uh, to see what that unit ultimately turned out to be is uh, is one of the more disappointing acts, aspects of a period of Florida State football where there's a ton of disappointing uh, things to choose from. So wish Stanford Samuels III the best of luck. And uh, we'll continue to update as we hear about the roster. But uh, like you said, some strong whispers, at least for now, that uh, Durden is staying. And uh, Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, I just want to ask you real quick here. Uh, did you see where Andrew Baselli said that there was going to be a no hat rule in the building during workouts? Or excuse me, uh, dur- during meetings. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Um, okay. You know, I, I don't want to make too much of that. It's good to appear that a coach has some set of rules uh, that he wants to go by, and it'd be interesting to see how that works out. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't want to extrapolate too much from, from hat rules. I think it's really smart. Uh, not in terms of, hey, this is going to make this team better, but I think this is messaging to boosters, right, and specifically older white boosters who checked out on Willie. Right, they are the type of booster who's more likely to be like discipline, discipline, discipline. You know that that type of thing. Even Damn though right, you take your hat off, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. NFL teams wear hats indoors. Okay, those guys are pretty good at football because that's literally, literally their job, and they they dress like slobs in, in in the facility and and wear hats. Wearing hats indoors is not a big deal. If you want to try to use that as a way to set some discipline. I think that's probably fine. I don't think it's a, again, it's not like a, yeah, awesome, or no, that's a terrible idea. It's just whatever. I, di- I think it's a messaging thing, though, for sure, uh, to to boosters. And that's something Coach Norvell has got to do. And so I think that is uh, that is something that was purposeful. And I'm sure he wanted that out there, right, to, to let the boosters know, hey, there are going to be some changes. Because the boosters are going to be looking, like, not like the boosters as an organization, but but supporters of the program are going to be looking for differences than than what Willie gave them, both in terms of record on the field, obviously, but also in terms of off the field. They're going to need some reasons to believe uh, that things are changing, especially because I'm not really sure that the on-field record is going to be uh, that much different in Norvell's first two years than they were in Taggart's only two years. So any kind of little behind-the-scenes win that you can get if you're Coach Norvell – with your larger boosters, I, I think is a really important thing to get. So if I were if I was Sam, I would keep throwing those out 100% of the time, right? Like we're only going to listen to country music in the locker room and, uh, you know, that, that, that kind of stuff. Not, I mean, not. Yeah. Did you, uh, you, point, did you ever watch like, the show Sopranos? I did. You, uh, do you remember the scene where Tony Soprano walks over and asks that guy to take his hat off in the restaurant? It's, uh, it's one of the better better scenes out there fantastically well acted and uh just a good window into the world of people who uh who share that opinion so uh any times i can force a sopranos reference into the null cast i will do it and uh, we were talking a lot about kids staying uh recently and whether your plans are that you're going home or that you're going to be staying in tallahassee i will uh draw your attention to our fine friends at madison social they are uh, without a doubt, the best option when it comes to New Year's Eve, uh, Tallahassee. Uh, I mean, I have confidence in them in, in everything that they do, and it doesn't shock me that they do New Year's Eve as well as they do. Six drinks and a champagne toast at midnight for $35. They'll have fireworks. Uh, it's the best move out there. Would point you 
to uh, any of their social media uh, channels, most uh, importantly their Instagram as far as how and uh, where to buy tickets. But again, keep our friends Madison Social in mind when it comes to New Year's Eve. Six drinks and a champagne toast at midnight for $35. Damn, that's a pretty good deal. That's a great deal. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm all about that. Okay, uh, by the way, I, I didn't get to ask you, did, did you have a great Christmas? Yeah, man, it was really nice. Uh, just went to New York a couple days ago uh, to kind of do a little, just to be nothing but a worthless tourist for 48 hours, had a great time, then came back in and had a had a really nice Christmas. So hope you did as well. I did, man. Yeah, I got, got, uh, got to get down to Fort Myers and uh, see the uh, uh, the 20th, 2023 uh, all-star game but then also spent some time with my folks and saw some friends down there and then came back up here and um ended up, ended up seeing even more family and it was it was good so been, been a busy year but it was it was nice i hope all our listeners out there did as well and uh speaking of listeners we do have some questions from them uh, a couple of these i think from email most of these from our patreon account that's patreon.com slash nolcast you can be a supporter at uh, many different levels and uh, whatever level you choose we certainly appreciate it and we don't promise that we answer all the questions on there although i think we get to most of them um, but we do promise that we read them all and that we look through them first so we, we go through the patreon questions first they still have to be a good question to make the show because like the the patreon helps the show the, the show isn't does not serve the patreon but most of them are pretty good. And so we'll go ahead and I think we have a what an eight pack tonight of, of questions and maybe we'll have some further discussion off the end of that and then we'll uh we'll get out of here on these eight questions. Okay, Anchor, uh here to tell you about exciting, exciting news. Uh we are back in the Resolution Home Loan Studios after being on the road for a little bit, and that is really exciting because the audio quality is better when we're here and look you guys should be using Resolution Home Loans to get your home mortgage. I did it for mine. 40 Nolcast listeners in just over two years have done it for theirs. I should know because gives, Shannon gives me y'all's t-shirt sizes when you get a mortgage through them. And I send them out along with a, a handwritten note, which is sometimes even legible. So, you know, bonuses here, y'all. But look, really great rates, great customer service, extremely knowledgeable person you're going to deal with directly in Shannon Young, 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com. That's 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com. Okay, so the first Patreon question is, is there concern with lack of Florida experience, save Odell Hagens and Ron Dugans, uh, when it comes to recruiting the state's most elite talent? You know, at this point, I would say say no um i think chris marv has some connections in terms of recruiting florida and i believe that he has the energy uh to to do so and and is going to do well recruiting in the state of florida we know that that defensive coordinator adam fuller has recruited florida now he's not recruited like the elite kids in florida right Uh, but he certainly recruited the elite high schools in florida so that i don't think it'll be a problem for him to get into those high schools um Memphis was not a, a place that heavily recruited uh, the, the state of Florida when, when Coach Norvell was there. So it, it's a bit of a lingering concern. I don't think it's a major concern of mine. Um, I think John Papuchas has actually recruited the state of Florida as well. Um, and, of course, keeping Ron Dugans and, and Odell Higgins on, on staff, to me, are, are important. I'll look into where Alex Atkins actually recruits for, for Charlotte TJ Rushing uh, as well, assuming he comes to be the DB coach, which we don't know for sure. A- Atkins, I'm, I'm pretty sure, is going to come to coach offensive line. And then we'll figure out what they do at the running back coach position. At, at this point, I would not think that it is a, uh, a a major concern. I think you have about as much experience recruiting the state of Florida uh, as, say, Urban Meyer did when, when, he, when he took over the Gators, right, in terms of, of, of their staff. Maybe a little bit less, but... That was a concern people had with him coming from Utah and the idea you have to have somebody from the Southeast and from Florida to do it. it you don't necessarily have to. Uh, it does help, but it, it's not a real big concern of mine 
at this point. I, I think there are some dudes who have recruited the state uh, before that, that some folks might not realize. Question number two is, do you see reason for concern with Norvell? Do you see reason for concern when Norvell states in a recent TDO interview that he does not think there's a current problem with the culture uh, of the locker room and the broader program itself? Ooh, okay. So there's a lot to unpack here. This this could be like a five-minute answer. Um, do I see reason for concern when he states in that interview that he does not think there's a reason or current cultural problem within the program? Overall, I would say no, that, that's not really a big concern of mine um, for a couple reasons. Number one, Coach Norvell has only been around for, what, three weeks at this point, I think. Um, so it's not like he's had a whole lot of time to assess. So he used the word think. If he's, st- if he's still saying this six months from now, it'll signify that either there's really not a cultural problem. And look, there's a lot of good things about the, about the culture in Florida State right now in terms of well, like academics and how people get treated inside the building and a lot of things like that. There's legitimate cultural progress made in, in a lot of areas. Now, with some other areas, I think that there are, are spots you can you can clean up the culture. And I think we discussed that a little bit earlier in the show with the whole some of the some of the virtue signaling with it. We're not going to have hats in the building and and that kind of stuff. Um, let, me, let me ask you this, and and answer the question if you want. But I'll I'll also ask you kind of another one. What good does it do him right now? when he hasn't even had really a chance to assess the culture and the locker room and whatnot to come out and say there's a cultural problem immediately. Like to me, it would make sense for him to not say anything about it because he has not had time to really assess it yet. If you say, yeah, there's a big cultural problem here right now, even if you think, you know, there is one and you say that before you actually have a real chance to interact with these players and, and learn who your players are. Cause you really haven't had much of that chance yet. You're going to turn some kids off unnecessarily. I, I just I don't see what the benefit is to coming out and saying the opposite of this. So I don't have a problem with him saying I, I don't think there's a cultural problem. But do, do you see a benefit of him coming out other than it just maybe like setting expectations potentially? I think the expectations uh, will be said, and I think the fan base is um, is always going to yearn for success. But I think there's a pretty deeply ingrained realization as to where the program is for a lot of people, not saying everybody. Um, I don't think that two to three weeks into the job in the venue of the local paper is the place where you express if you really do think that's the case. And, and like you said, there's been only so many times for him to really make an assessment as to what the culture of the program is going to be like. And honestly, I would have a real hard time judging what what you take away from a couple of practices from one of the more meaningless bowl games that this program's ever played in, you know, like, I I just don't know what the information that's out there that would really let Norvell know, uh, as to the detail of what he's working with. So, uh, I think that Norvell's well aware there's a lot of challenges and that, uh, he's inheriting aspects of a roster that are going to be exceptionally challenging. But, um, when you coach at a place like Memphis, you're probably as well, uh, trained for uh, inheriting a, a challenging locker room as, as possible. Uh, and I don't think that, uh, again, that this is the setting or the time where you would come out and really deliver that message. So I wouldn't, I, I certainly see the reason for concern uh, from the listeners or from the reader's perspective, but I don't know that uh, there's too many other answers that would be given in a situation like that. I agree. All right. Uh, Let's get to question three here. How much real success can FSU experience with patching hope, patching hose? Good lord, uh, with patching holes on the offensive line. Is there a possibility uh, where they could improve to a point where they can compete with the rest of the ACC outside of Clemson? I think for this question, we have to assume that he means uh, year one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I certainly would read that as a year one question. Is it possible? Could they have just some ridiculous amount of success and get two guys that they can immediately plug in at tackle? Yes, it's possible. Uh, do I expect that in year one? No. Would I 
calibrate a more realistic goal of uh, seeing what the the team looks like in 2021 for the first game. And that's where you can hope to maybe be at the level that's referenced in this question. Uh, yeah, but again, outside of, uh, of, you know, picking up a couple of, of guys that you can plug in immediately and be confident that they're going to be your tackles and they're going to be your tackles at an above average level. I'm, I have a hard time seeing that level of success and uh, that much ground being made up, uh, whether it be transfer Juco or anything else. I think you nailed it. It's, it's unlikely. It's not impossible, right? Unlikely, but not impossible. Um, I don't know if you can call this a true year zero for Coach Norvell because I don't know that the program is like year zero level, but it's certainly year one, and there's a lot of kind of learning processes that that go on year one. This is an offensive line group that is going to have had four offensive line coaches in a four-year span. That's going to be tough. Uh, I I think we're we're still kind of right on track for for our stated uh, timeline of Get to get to bad this year. Get to below average twenty twenty. Get to average ish, maybe above average by twenty twenty one. I think that you can make the leap to below average this year. I, I I do, if you have some success in the transfer market. Um, what is a below average national offensive line? What does that get you in the ACC? Well, I I think you can hang with uh, more teams in the ACC. Can you hang with all the teams in ACC? Are, are you suddenly going to be able to block Miami or um, you know Virginia or some of those teams that have really good defensive lines? I I don't know. I'm not not confident in that, but I think you'll you'll probably not be struggling blocking some of the the lower tier ACC teams quite as much this year, in, in my opinion. I think the offensive line will improve, but I don't think that the the the, the thing that makes me kind of spike this is. Uh, it says compete with the rest of the ACC outside of Clemson, which means basically everybody other than Clemson. And I think there are some more teams that are, are clearly going to be physically a good bit better, better than you up front, uh, aside from just Clemson. Here's a good question to throw your way. Uh, when and why do we now have two separate signing days? And do you see a place in time where the traditional signing day, that uh, which falls on the first Wednesday of February, uh, could be phased out? Okay, so this happened uh, the first year we, we had this was the class of 2017. Ostensibly, uh, schools, which the member institutions make up the NCAA, they had said, hey, like this is for the benefit of the kids. A lot of the kids already know where they want to go by you know, a couple weeks before Christmas. Let's, let's let them get their decisions over us. They don't have to deal with this stuff uh, in, in January and, and February and blah, blah, blah. They can already be done with it. A lot of other kids are already early enrolling, so it, it seems like there's a trend there, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the real reason that this, that this got done is because coaches said, hey, I don't want to have to keep babysitting and courting somebody who already said yes to my engagement, right, three months ago. I don't want to have to keep milking that relationship all the way to February. I want to be able to put a binding contract on these kids in, in, in the form of a national letter of intent earlier so that I can reduce my workload during Christmas. I can hone in on the remaining kids who haven't signed. I can get a better perspective as to who is, is actually committed to me and to my staff and so that I can move on to next year's class. It, it really doesn't benefit the kids that much. It benefits the coaches uh, quite a bit, uh, I don't really love it so far, but I, I think there's some benefit there. I would love to see one in August, right? Because that would really show you who's who's really kind of all in. Like, if you sign in August, you're probably really committed to a school and not just to a coaching staff. But at the same time, you know kids are going to be pressured in August just like they're pressured now in December. And a lot of kids make bad decisions in December just like they made bad decisions in February because – like, but but I think having two signing days creates a leverage point uh, upon which bad decisions are, are made more frequently. Uh, will that be phased out? I think it's certainly possible that the February signing day could eventually be phased out. I would just like to see uh, a system where schools have to actually register their offers. And this has become very public, but literally this would be this would be an NCAA run system to where schools say, hey, this is an offer. 
right? And it's logged in the system and the kid can click accept, right? Now you couldn't, I would make it to where you can't accept within like 72 hours of being offered because that would give you a cooling off period, you know? But it would really like put a stop to these practices of, of these schools and Florida State does it too, right? Of, oh, hey, we, we sent out 400 offers. You, you did what? Like you, you have 20 spots to fill. You're going to offer 400 kids? And I, I know why they do it because there's so little downside to it. But a lot of these offers are not really committable. And I, I think that it creates a, a bit of like an information deficit for the kids out there because they don't really know who really has an offer and who doesn't. If you put it all on the table very clearly and said, hey, these are the actual offers that we have extended to you. Uh, what do you think about this? Blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, I, I think that would really, really help people. And I, I don't know that it, that it gets done nearly enough, but uh, but I, I think it should. Good stuff. Really good stuff. All right. Pausing real briefly here to let you know about our friend Travis Johnson of the Metter and Johnson Law Firm. Travis Johnson is one of the top family law attorneys in the state of Florida. Why? He has over a decade of experience in the field of family law. He's board certified. He has teaching experience. He has cases throughout the state. He even has appellate experience. What does family law cover? Well, obviously divorce. That's an issue. Issues dividing property. What about alimony? Maybe child support. Visitation. Maybe you need to enforce the terms of an existing agreement. Maybe Travis can help you modify or maybe a little prior visitation or support order. Do you need a prenup? Travis Johnson of the Metter and Johnson Law Firm can do all these things for you. 850-435-9919. It's 850-435-9919. You may not need him today. Put the name in the back of your head. If the time comes you do need him, you know the number to call. 850-435-9919. That's Travis Johnson of the Metter and Johnson Law Firm. Will y'all be doing one extensive show putting a bow on the Willie Taggart era? Um, obviously, I'd be interested to get your opinion on this, but I would say that that may be still some time. I, I don't know if there'd be interest for this. I'd probably be more inclined to do a Jimbo era uh, pod because I think we have a little bit more perspective on that. And some of the people that we would have as <laughs> kind of direct sources for information are still employed or much more, you know, closer to the situation. I, I think uh, you may need a little bit more perspective to really be able to have a, a fair view as to how the Taggart situation played out. And at least in my opinion, we're probably probably not anywhere near uh, that. I, I think that's that's fair. Um, I thought the, the last couple episodes we did on Willie were, when he was fired kind of why it went down, why it was happening, we're, we're pretty good. So I don't, I don't really have a, a huge pressing need to, uh, to, to go do that at this, at this point, but I, I won't rule it out, certainly. Okay, uh, let me see here. Uh, prospects, for Juco, or prospects for Juco prospects at running back, defensive end, offensive tackle. Uh, I would say that they're not very good at this point. Um, we discussed this on the last episode, and I think also the episode before that, but look, the JUCO ranks are kind of picked over by the early signing period. The, the, the kids who you really want to get are the kids who are going to be able to enroll in January because they need to get into your system. They, they've not been coming up in your system. It's very new to them. You're not going to get a whole lot of high-quality junior college players who arrive on your campus in the summer. If Florida State's going to get a lot of impact guys, that's not to say they can't get any good JUCO guys, but if it's going to get a lot of impact guys, it's going to have to do so via the transfer portal and not via the junior college ranks for this season. Now, I'm sure they're going to go after some junior college guys. In fact, they already are. But just know this, like they're, they're not created the same. A JUCO who comes in over the summer is not nearly as helpful to you as, as one who got in for spring. And at this point, you're not getting any JUCOs in for spring if you don't have them signed already, period. So... Yeah, I just I would I don't I would not count on junior college guys right now plugging your holes at running back, defensive end, and offensive tackle. What are y'all's thoughts on the depth or lack thereof at the running back position? Well, Bud, I know that sometimes people think that we uh, love to be like overly pessimistic. 
Uh, here's here's I don't know what your answer is, but uh, I have a feeling we may be similar of, of opinion. I realize who is going to be carrying the ball in the bowl game. Uh, I don't dismiss the idea of the running back position, certainly, but man, of of the list of concerns that Florida State has, I, this is not at the highest of my list. Uh, I think the running back situation sorts itself out. Uh, I realize that losing on uh, Knighton is something that bothers a lot of people, probably more so as to where he signed than maybe the prospect itself. Um, I think the Tullafili kid's a good prospect, and I think running back is one of those places that you I, you don't, I mean, is, is signing Cam Akers great? Is that awesome? Is it fun to sign a prospect like that? Absolutely. Uh, but I don't really know that you have to have that type of athlete to have success at, at running back, and particularly with how Norvell uses uh, running backs in, in his offense. It, yeah, it's just really not a major worry of mine for 2020. Uh, I, I I think that they will be able to get somebody in the transfer portal pretty quickly if, if they end up having a, a numbers issue at running back. Uh, they have two walk-ons who I, I know they like at running back right now. and re- That's not really something you want to hear, <laughs> duh. But, yeah, I agree with you. Like, I'm, I'm not down on the running back position for 2020. I, I, I do think that it's, it's a spot where – Young kids can play. True freshmen can and do play at the running back position and probably do better at that position than they do at any other position on the field. And there's a reason for that. It's probably the most instinctive position. It's the position you have to learn the least. That doesn't mean you don't have to learn anything, but you have to learn uh, the least. And I'm I'm excited to see what Mike Norvell can go out there and get at, at that position. Final question of the evening is with the news of Durden and Robinson returning, pairing that with the possible return of Kendo and Woodby, uh, and with big recruiting additions like Chuba, how do you think we are looking towards next year? And would you grade Norvell's first two weeks as better than that of Willie Taggart? Okay, so uh, let's, let's think about this. Um, first of all, I think Robinson actually announced that he was returning. Durden, has has he officially announced he was returning? I, I saw him tweet some positive things at Coach Norvell, but I don't think he's officially come out and said, hey, I'm, I'm definitely returning. We discussed this a little bit earlier in the episode. I have no idea if Josh Kando is going to return, and I would be skeptical about that until he actually tweets that, or, or reveals that he is coming back or, or just you know is actually enrolled in January uh, and would be I, I think would be will be back but again has he actually officially come out and said that keep in mind if you enter the transfer portal they only have to give you financial aid until the end of the semester so it's not really smart to do it right now you should wait about I don't know uh, a week <laughs> if, if you're a college kid looking to transfer right now because then you can be guaranteed aid through the end of the spring semester if you don't find a home that you like uh so i don't how do i think they're looking for next year i well look i mean i think if you play chubba purdy against next year's schedule um he could get some good experience i don't, I don't know that it really is going to help you a whole lot potentially i mean he could be really good as a freshman but uh, uh he, he also could really struggle right a lot, a lot of freshman quarterbacks do end up struggling uh, quite a bit how would I grade uh, Coach Norvell's first two weeks uh, against uh, Coach Taggart's? Well, I think people were definitely more excited for Coach Taggart overall, just judging by the, by the fan base. Um, he was a bigger name, certainly, and and like the undoubted top guy on the board for a lot of different schools when he was hired. Right, Old Miss wanted him. Oregon didn't want to lose him. He was at a much bigger job than Coach Norvell was, and he's a more accomplished coach than than Coach Norvell in terms of you know head coaching experience and program turnarounds and whatnot, whereas Norvell took over a program at Memphis that was already pretty much rolling, and he did improve it to his credit. Uh, Willie definitely recruited better than Mike Norvell did in terms of, of keeping guys in the class, but also in terms of going out and, and getting some new ones in, in that short period and, and did a really good job. The excitement there on the recruiting side was higher when Willie came in than it was in terms of what I'm seeing from recruits for Coach Norvell's staff so far. But that's in terms of recruiting prospects. The, the one thing I, I will note here that really is in Coach Norvell's favor, um, and if this was something that needed to be turned around immediately, like the program 
which is not realistic to do in my opinion, then I'd be worried. But I think Coach Norvell has a good long-term plan, so I really am not worried about that. Uh, but if uh, I think if you could t- like take a peek behind the curtain somehow, I, I think you would find that Coach Norvell is getting his first um, or definitely first or second choice in terms of who he wants as a coach at a lot of these positions. And I don't know that you can say that happened for Coach Taggart because some of the schools that Coach Taggart was trying to pull guys from had deeper pockets than Florida State, and they ponied up big-time money. And also, Willie really kind of pissed off Oregon uh, by the way that that he only went there for a year and and then flirted with Florida State uh, while he was still recruiting for the Ducks. So they, they were pretty motivated to keep some of those guys from joining his staff, notably like Arroyo and, and Levitt. I think uh, where Norvell may have done better on the recruiting front is uh, is recruiting the boosters, to be honest with you. He's been real aggressive in uh, courting internally people that he's going to have to have behind him. And uh, he's obviously someone who is uh, incredibly ambitious, fairly well organized, and has a message that uh, a lot of people like to hear. And I think Florida State, look, it's early. Uh, but I think Florida State's going to have a hell of a recruiting class next year. Uh, I think they'll sign a top six, top seven class. Uh, and I think a lot of it will have to do with uh, how well Norvell has uh, recruited his own kind of internal camp. And so far, uh, in my opinion, the returns are pretty positive when it comes to that. I, I completely agree with you there on, on that. And that's you know another reason why I want to see them get some good recruiters on this staff. Like I think he's done – at a couple of these spots because I don't really think like your on-field play is going to be a selling point in, in your first two years here. You've got to be selling hype and hope and, and playing time. Wow, man, we're almost an hour. That's uh, It feels like it flew by. That's good stuff. Appreciate the uh, listen that always. This will, uh, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I'll be ever so kind to let Bud bring you the Tony the Tiger Bowl preview. Uh, but as always, any kind of support you can give us or our sponsors, a five-star review is always appreciated. Uh, we appreciate the listens and look forward to talking to you in the near future.